filibuster received sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter, you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. The other day, I was at the coffee shop with my five-year-old. Um, she likes to ask to stop at the coffee shop to pick up a treat um, because occasionally we go there to buy uh, whole beans and then um, they have a display case with cookies and brownies and muffins and such. And so on the way home from school, she likes to pick up dessert there um, once every every week or two. And so she asked to stop there. I said, sure. And uh, she saw when she was getting off the bike, she saw the the DC United sticker I have on one of the running boards. And, and she put on this sad face and w- was kind of sad about not being at Audi Field recently because it's been a while since there's been a home game on a weekend at a time that she can attend uh, when we are in town. And so the she hasn't been for a while. So she's like, I miss Talon. I miss Talon's house. Um, and and I forget what it was. I think she, she thought back to the mountains when uh, she knows that we lost to the Red Bulls and she was sad that we lost to the Red Bulls. And so to to cheer her up, I, I showed her the four stars on on the logo. And I said, you know what those stars are? There, there are championships. We've won MLS Cup four times, um, and one of the songs that that she likes, she really likes the Volveremos song, which, which translates to "We'll be back as champions," like in 1996. And and you know, 96 was the first MLS Cup, and we won it. And she gets real excited, and and she's like, "But the Red Bulls beat us." I was like, "Yeah, but they haven't won any championships." And she got real excited when she found that out. <laughs> She was so happy that the Red Bulls have never won an MLS Cup, and it it warmed my heart. Me too. Me too. <laughs> it's a, it's a, such a fundamental fact of living uh, that a child uh, who is just now learning about that whole thing is immediately and instantly happy about it. It's it's it is objectively a bringer of joy yeah. to you, no matter your your. your your situation. So um, it's so universal that my five year old just got it. It was wonderful. I was very happy as as a father and as a human being in that moment. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United and Indoctrinating One's Children podcast. Uh, I'm Adam Taylor. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We're all from blackandredunited.com. We cover DC United, and that's what we're doing tonight. Uh, In this first segment, we are going to have Devin McTavish. You know him. You love him. Uh, Former DC United player, current color commentator for the team. He's going to come on and talk about some of his memories of RFK Stadium because we found out recently that uh, the, the stadium itself is not long for this world. So... Uh, we wanted to to talk about some memories again, and we figured a player would be a good uh, perspective. So we invited Devin on. And he graciously agreed. So we're going to talk to him in just a minute. And then in the second segment, we will preview DC United's trip to Portland this Sunday. Watch it on ESPN 3.30 p.m. Uh, before we do any of that, though, Benjamin, what are you drinking tonight? So I'm going with... Uh 
what my wife bought. She bought a box of Trulies, and I'm uh, drinking the ones she doesn't like. She doesn't like the pomegranate flavored Trulies, which is the uh, uh, what is uh, Trulies? It's the seltzer alcohol. It's like White Claws. I mean, you know, there ain't no laws when you're drinking your claws. So uh, it's kind of like White Claw, uh, but it's a different multinational conglomerate that makes these ones. So is it claws, but with laws? Is that what makes it truly? Um, no, I still don't think there are laws. Okay. Uh, so let, so it's when you're drinking it, it's just the purge. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Let the record show uh, that, in fact, if you get hammered on alcoholic seltzer, regardless of the brand, uh, the law will still apply to you. Um, so, nah. you know. Make sure if you're doing something stupid, Jason, try and get away with it. Jason, you of all people should agree that there ain't no laws when you're drinking your claws. No, no, see, this this is a misconception of my past. (laughs) Um, My past was built around we're going to get drunk and do this stuff and we're going to get away with it. We acknowledge that there is a law that has to be dodged. Maybe we're not allowed to walk out with this uh, restaurant's uh, floor mat because it took too long for us to pay them, but we're going to find a way to get that floor mat because they shouldn't have wasted our time. But you acknowledge the whole time that the threat of the law coming down on you exists the entire time. And that's part of, it becomes part of the, uh, the whole thing is, is uh, knowing you're transgressing. If you remove the laws, it's not nearly as fun to uh, hypothetically walk out of, a brew pub with their floor mat because <laughs> it took too long to pay them. Hypothetically. Of course. If that's something, Allegedly. You a situation you found yourself in, you could do that. You may or may not find yourself. You could, in. Who knows? You could put it down in your kitchen in the house that you share with your friends because you didn't feel like mopping the floor anymore. Alleg- allegedly. Does this floor mat still exist in someone's house? Uh, uh, if if it were hypothetically taken by someone, I don't know. I'd have to ask uh, the okay. people that were with me. Um, I don't have it. <laughs> okay. If it if it ever existed in the first place, right? Ben, I'm curious about this. These seltzer. I haven't had any of the hard seltzers yet. Uh, are are they very sweet? Are they just They're artificial not. flavoring? Yeah. Is it more like a gin ricky? Uh, it's like. <sighs> Have you had have you had the spendthrift uh seltzers? They're just like seltzers with uh 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 crushed fruit in them. I have not. I mean yeah, they're not super sweet, which is good. At least this truly isn't. Uh so it's basically just it's like LaCroix, but a little bit more flavor and then like five percent alcohol in it. Okay. Would you recommend? I, I mean, you, you prefaced it by yeah. saying this was something you did not buy and you did not choose. So I want to know if you would, if you would choose it. Yes, I would. Okay. I, I'm known for endorsing terrible beverages on this program. <laughs> so you probably shouldn't believe me too much, but there's so many caveats coming right now. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. I won't I mean, lie. I'm glad. I'm not going to yuck your yum. I'm. I'm. I'm curious. I haven't tried them, and I'm. I'm cautiously interested in doing so. Um, so like, like, but like non-alcoholic bubble water. Uh, there's a lot of them, and some of them are terrible. And this one isn't terrible. Yeah, I just. I generally don't buy flavored seltzer. I. I buy just club soda, uh, and and 
do with it what I will. Because you're from because you're from the 1940s. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's me. Totally from that. Not a super basic millennial who's drinking rosé because it's hot in DC. Oh, yeah. you're also that. <laughs> I, you know, a thing can be two things. I, I am a super basic millennial drinking rosé on what will hopefully be the last really hot day in DC this summer. Um, yeah, we had one bottle of rosé left, and it, it was already opened. I'm like, yeah, that's that's what I'm drinking tonight because it's the Sounds the great. heat index was triple digits today, so it's yes. like. No, it was offensive. Yes, um, it was no good. I, I saw a forecast sometime in the afternoon that mentioned that the and this is typical of our show that the, the problem was in Fredericksburg, um, one of the places that we've all agreed uh, is often a source of trouble. Um, and the heat index in Fredericksburg was like 105. And I was just like, what are you doing? It's mid-September. This is ridiculous. But it's also um, ridiculous because it was like. 85 in Richmond here today. And like, I'm 90 miles from y'all. And yep. the difference was like 30 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it was rude. It was rude, in my opinion. It was not okay in any <laughs> event. Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I kept it real simple. Um, I have my Patron Añejo uh, Barrel Select from uh, Bay Ridge Liquors in Annapolis. Um, it's their barrel that they selected. That's why it's called Barrel Select. Um, and I that was it. it. Uh, I didn't put anything in it. I put it in a glass, and then uh, we started nice. doing this. It's good. All right. Was, it, was there ice or nah? Nope. Nothing. Cool. Neat. Or not, like actually. <laughs> All right. Shall we get to it? Let's do it. I mean, I guess that's what we, we decided to do this for. All right. Fine. Events DC announced last week that due to maintenance cost, security costs, and of course the cost of pest control, they would plan to tear down the wonder that is RFK Stadium in the next couple of years. Uh, back at the end of the 2017, the three of us discussed our memories uh, of RFK and got a little dusty. Um, but we wanted to have the player's perspective. And it just so happens we have a friend who a lot of you know and love who played for six years for DC United at RFK Stadium. You now know him as the color commentator on Flow Sports. His name is Devin McTavish, and he joins us now. Devin, welcome back to Filibuster. Guys, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be back. It's been a little while, but uh, a big fan of what you guys do uh, every week. So I appreciate you having me on. Hey, likewise. You know you know the drill then. What are you drinking? I do. <laughs> I do. So I poured a uh, a little bullet into a, a short glass with a few ice cubes, and uh, there's a lot less bullet now, and <laughs> so it's a uh, little less brown, a little more clear, but uh, it's still going down a little little too easy for me. Uh, it tends to get easier and easier is the issue uh, as you go on. If you just want to pour yourself another one, we'll just get started. Yeah, I think that might be dangerous for the show if I do that. So we'll probably stop here, but <laughs> more dangerous for you than for us, more likely. Yeah, uh, fair enough. So, like I said, you spent six years at, at RFK as a player. Uh, what What's your all time favorite, or at least most top of mind memory as a player there? Oh well, it's so. Let me just kind of rewind it, if you're all right with that. So. Um, as sure. a player, I have one moment actually in time that kind of just still to this day sticks in my head. But 
um, which I'll get to. But I mean, you know, being from Virginia, growing up uh, a fan of DC United, I was, I mean, RFK was it for me. It was uh, the Taj Mahal stadiums, if you will. And I mean, my first game there was the 94 World Cup um, back when I was she's 10 years old. So we're seeing, you know, the biggest age of soccer in uh, essentially almost the backyard of where I grew up. And one of the greatest goals ever um, of the 94 World Cup was scored when I saw the game Saudi Arabia versus Belgium. So, gosh, I forget the name of this player, but he takes it about 75 yards through the Belgium defense. And uh, one of the great, just a fantastic goal of the 94 World Cup. And I was sitting like literally right at the 50 yards, you know, half halfway line. So that was my first memory of RFK Stadium. Like even in an atmosphere where not everyone's going for the same team, it's just an exciting World Cup atmosphere. Everyone rose to their feet when that goal hit the back of the net. So uh, from there, I mean, I've got a lot of memories. To go back to your initial question, um, I was on the field when David Beckham made his debut in MLS. And that was if not the highest attended DC United game, probably second behind the 97 MLS cup. Um, yeah. I was in the 400 seats for that one. Yeah. It was, <laughs> I would have been, I would have been if I wasn't fortunate enough to be on the field. So, um, but the, the, the moment that I remember most is like, obviously being a fan of Beckham when, when he was playing at Man United and just kind of quote unquote, idolizing him as I was uh, developing as a player. Um, seen him check into the game and like I just remember looking around I kind of did a 360 and just took a mental picture because all of the flash bulbs going off at the time were it was I, I can't really explain it um, I should be able to given kind of my role be able to articulate what <laughs> was going on but uh, it was just this surreal moment where everything kind of just stopped in my life and I just told myself I need to take a mental picture of this and to this day it's as, uh, it's as vivid as it happened yesterday morning. So, Devin, uh, fans like to talk about stadiums like they're uh, sacred places. Uh, do players feel that way about uh, certain stadiums? Do uh, players have that same sort of relationship relationship about a space that, that fans do? Or is it more of a kind of just like a uh, day-in, day-out kind of workmanship kind of relationship? No, I think it's, it's you know, I, I never heard anyone that that was in DC United's locker room speak illy of RFK Stadium because we, it was a little unique in one of the first situations where in MLS where our home base was RFK Stadium. So we'd walk out to the training facilities. Uh, obviously, game days, we just walk out to, to the stadium field. And so every day you're going to RFK, six days a week, and it becomes your home when you're doing that. Yes, there would be some complaints about you know, you're watching film and you hear the rats in the ceiling um, and you find dead mice every time you come in and the roaches, you know, all of those stories. I don't need to bore you with those, but there was just something about it that, uh, especially in the, the era that I played in MLS where soccer specific stadiums were just starting to, to sprout around the league where essentially we had the soccer specific stadium, the only one in the league, it kind of felt like at times um, because there weren't, football lines on it. Um, yes, at, for a couple of years, there was a baseball diamond, but the, uh, the atmosphere was, was top notch. And so players coming in to DC United, I, I don't think they were blown away by the facility itself. 
obviously, but they were blown away by what it meant to play at RFK because of the support, the fans, the environment that was created in that historic stadium. Uh, Devin, I was thinking earlier today um, about the era that, that um, you were playing for the team, and I kept finding myself thinking of games involving the Houston Dynamo and oh, yeah. just incredible and power rain, outages and floods rain, and power outage power, um, <laughs> everything um do any of those games in particular come back to you or is there any one like you're stuck in the locker room because the game has been delayed for x number of hours anything like that uh ring a bell yeah that was a long summer if i remember <laughs> gosh what year was that was that 08 or was seven I, I think, um where that i think it was 08 and maybe yeah one in 09 as well yeah, yeah, it just seemed to happen a couple of summers in a row there. But I, I feel like specifically, oh wait, there was we had a crazy hectic hectic summer with uh, like Superliga, and mm-hmm. I remember that game specifically, and just thinking, there's no way we're going to go out and play, and it was an important <laughs> game for us, especially yeah. in oh eight when we're uh, fighting for. I think we ended up missing the playoffs by what a point, or maybe we were tied and lost on goal difference. It was there was very slim margins for us to have any sort of air in the in the final you know, two, three months of the season. And um, I remember thinking there's no way we can play in this. There's absolutely no way we can play in this. And it's, I mean, you're exhausted. So when you're, when you're a player, you are prepping your body all day for the exact time the first whistle is going to blow. And then when that gets delayed for however many countless hours that those games were delayed for, your body is all thrown off. And from a mental standpoint, it's tough to really come back from that. And obviously we didn't. Um, And I think (laughs) that the feeling in the locker room was like, which is sad to admit this, that it was, it was, it was a long summer. Um, Mm -hmm. And listen, this is another hurdle that we tried to have to overcome. And I don't think we were prepared for it, but I do just remember buckets like trying to play and you can barely see teammates and there's 500, 600 people in the stands and somehow they're still making noise um, at 11 o'clock at night. And um, the memory doesn't end well, but it is a very, very unique memory. And I think, uh, what, was it the last year, 2017 at RFK, where we had something similar, where the the yeah. tunnel to the locker room ended up getting flooded as well? So yep. yeah, um, yeah, DC United schedules during monsoon season apparently. Never, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was ever successful on the schedule for us. Uh, did they have like a backup plan um, if the the tunnel flooded like that? Did, did did they ever tell you guys where you were supposed to go to get to the field if if that became a uh, a six foot high wall of water for some reason. Yeah. Where to reroute us to. So actually it seemed that the, uh, for whatever reason, the away team tunnel never really seemed to flood at all. Okay. (laughs) To funnel (laughs) right into the home team. So, uh, and I guess by the time that we uh, ended up getting back on the field, it wasn't waist high. It was only, uh, you know, a few inches high, but um, I just remember too, like there was, I don't know if you guys have been down there, but there's a little, um, you know, dugout bathroom right there. And mm-hmm. so it would take months to get cleaned after that flood. So you, <laughs> you know, you're walking out to like day before a game. Sometimes we turn on the, the the game field and uh, you'd be like, all right, yeah, it's been uh, it's been four or five, six weeks, and there's still uh, you know three feet of mud in this bathroom where all the water just congregated, and no one has decided to clean it up. So oh, just waiting for the, the next flood to happen. <laughs> I know Jason's no yeah. fan of the baseball infrastructure uh, being put in at RFK or put back in at RFK. So hearing that the 
part of the dugout was just completely neglected and covered in mud. I'm sure Jason doesn't actually <laughs> mind that so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what's uh, your guy? Can I ask, can I flip the script? Yeah, for sure. So do we, that do we have favorite, do we have favorite memories of RFK from you guys? I've got a few. That that, I know you guys have kind of run through this before, but I, I want to hear it firsthand again. Oh man. Happy to that night against Houston is, is one of them, which is, it's more of a blur just because I was, I was yeah. in the stands with the the supporters and uh, was, was drinking quite a bit, even though it was a, it was a weeknight, but I, I had a pretty cushy job that summer. I was still in school and um, I was with a buddy of mine and all our phones were, were turned off and put into like a zip top bags. So we had no connection to the outside world. I had no idea that there had been power outages in other parts of the city. And my girlfriend who is now my wife uh, was at my apartment with the power out and sirens going all over the place in Adams Morgan. And I had no idea that was happening. Um, Oh gosh. She did not break up with me. We, we now have two kids. It's great. (laughs) Uh, Happy ending. But (laughs) um, I I was not a good boyfriend that night, but I I remember just the monsoon, the flood of RFK, lots of people talking about making jokes about how the Roman Coliseum was watertight enough that they could hold a ship battle in there if they wanted to. And thinking, (laughs) is that what we're going to do tonight? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and right. then, and then Metro broke on our way, um, back uptown afterwards. So we, I was stuck in a tunnel and had to like, uh, sweet talk my way. It, it was at Metro center where, where the, the red line broke down a preview of the years to come. And I had to sweet talk my way into Macy's, which has an entrance directly in the Metro station there. Yep. And, uh, so I could use the bathroom because I was stuck in there for a couple hours. Um, oh, cause I was gosh. poor and had no money to get a cab, I guess. I don't know. But um, yeah, that, that was one of my, my favorite memories. I'll let you guys talk before I, I share any more. Uh, I guess, cause I was at the state, I was at the stadium for the game as well. Um, and I was with my, my roommate and his brother um, came to the game as well, but his brother came in on Metro and my roommate and I drove in and he this is uh, Brian, who last week we talked about the prospect of me possibly wrapping him around a um, wrapping him with saran wrap by a phone <laughs> call. So um, Brian gets on the show again. Um, but Brian was like uh, sometime within half an hour of the start of the of the delay and before Metro um, started having its problems. He, he didn't know, but he was like, this is going to take forever. This storm is not leaving. I got to get on the train. I got to go home. So he left and. Pat and I were hanging out for a while and Pat started talking about how hungry he was. Um, we managed to talk some stadium employees that were emptying out the, um, the luxury boxes of the various snacks from up there that I, were coming from somewhere. We managed to talk them into giving us some snacks. And so someone came over and gave us like a pack of crackers and these weird apple Danish things. Um, but uh, Pat was starving. So he was like, he was on cloud nine about the, this, um, array of crackers and dessert food. Um, but yeah, we decided to stick it out. Um, I, I had a job where if I rolled in looking like hell the next morning, it was not, no, no, everyone was going to be like, uh, all right, it's fine. It's, it's just Jason. He's going to sit in the corner and he'll get something done, but he just won't be communicative until after lunch. Um, so I was like, I've, I'm staying for the whole thing. Uh, and my roommate was like, yeah, let's, let's do this thing. So um, we were one of those, uh, lunatics that stayed in the stands, um, standing. I remember CSC kicking us out of the seats yes. and into the concourse. 
um, at one point because it was no longer safe to be out in the elements. Like it, the storm there was, was a, it was it was intense. Yeah, and um, we were all just yeah. gonna stay out there. There, there were definitely, um, and I don't believe this was Adam. I know it wasn't me or my roommate, but um, there were definitely a couple fans who decided to, to hop the hop the barrier and uh, take a little run on the playing surface. Um, a couple headfirst slides uh, on, on the uh, the rainy surface because no one else was down there to like deal with it. So I think I don't even think that they got in any trouble. Like they ran out, they did their slides, they came back even somehow wetter than everyone else who was already soaked to the bone. Um, yeah. But yeah, and and you know, like we said, this was like I believe this was the second game against the Dynamo in that short yeah. period of time that had been yeah. uh, hit with some sort of astounding rainstorm so i think this um, was the makeup for the first one <laughs> at least in my head that's yeah. what i've no, convinced I, myself it, it might be this was all so long ago now it's hard to remember anything um it was over a well, decade ago before black and red united or filibuster existed yeah well speaking of things that existed long ago i i my first time at rfk and i i think i've told the story before but i'll tell it again anyways because i don't care uh <laughs> I'm not from Virginia originally, uh, but when I was an eighth grader in 2000, uh, we took a trip to D.C. and my school decided it would be a good idea to go to a soccer game at RFK and take a bunch of eighth graders to a soccer game. So uh, I saw a D.C. United New England Revolution game in May of 2000 uh, and we were just a bunch of jerk kids, but just going to that game and, and looking back at that game as I became a soccer fan just made me realize how cool this all was and made me wanted to uh, look back into this and continue thinking about and continue participating in uh, soccer fandom, even though we were just a bunch of jerk kids from the Midwest who were rooting against DC United at DC United's home stadium because we were a bunch of jerk kids. Nobody's perfect. But you got hooked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm thinking now because, you know, Devin mentioned the World Cup and uh, I was at all of those games as well. And, and I, one of my enduring memories is actually outside the stadium um, after the Netherlands played Saudi Arabia and everyone was trying to take Metro home. And you can imagine a, a stadium of, of like the RFK was packed to capacity and everyone's trying to get on the Metro. So no one's getting in. Everyone's just sort of stuck standing in front of the armory in a big line. And as the line worked its way up and made the turn towards the station, uh, a, ser- a group of Dutch fans just decided that they had had enough standing around and they wanted to go sit. So they walked across the street into someone's yard and just plopped down in their yard. And within 30 seconds, the guy was out the door screaming at them and they were drunk and they were Dutch and they were getting yelled at and they did, they weren't angry. They were just unable to figure out what the problem was and what they had done wrong. Um, There are people in the line trying to like, no, come back to the line. You're getting, you're in someone's yard. And they're like, I don't, I don't understand what, what I've done wrong. I just want to have a seat. Um, But it was, it was all good natured in the end. Like the guy that was trying to get them out of the yard. Once he got them to go away, he wasn't like still angry, but the whole thing was kind of this, um, this big party. And I know it's like a cliche, but um, that was kind of, that was part of the world cup experience for me. It was just um, the party at RFK, but it was always kind of a party at RFK. You know, the lot eight scene was always something else that you, you couldn't get anywhere else. 
Um, so it was kind of a a good intro to what was to come. You know, once I was old enough uh, to partake in some of what was going on in Light Eight, then it was like, oh yeah, this is what I've been missing out on the whole time. <laughs> uh, Devin, you mentioned the the Beckham game, and I, I was up in the upper deck for that. Um, being a, a young person and a DC United fan at that point, um, not happy that with all the Beckham jerseys that were around, you know, with the tags still on them <laughs> first year for the rebrand and everything. And, and yeah. United won that game one to nothing. And um, th- this is a memory of mine that I cherish. And my wife deeply does not cherish. Um, she, if she's listening to this, uh, she's going to hang her head and roll her eyes very hard because uh, she knows what story is coming. Walking out of the stadium uh, that day, Lots of DC United fans out chanting DC United. <laughs> and as we go there, there's a, a dad with two, you know, seven, eight year old boys holding his hand, walking along and they both have brand new Beckham jerseys on. And as I'm walking past them, uh, just, I think to go up the stairs up to the main entrance outside of RFK, uh, as we're leaving, one of them looks at me and just says, galaxy's better. <laughs> one of the kids says this. One of the kids says that to me. One of the okay, so you, and, you can't. Re- yeah, there's no rebuttal. <laughs> I mean, there is. I, to my mind, there's one rebuttal. I mean, there's no rebuttal. <laughs> and so what I said to him was scoreboard kid, and then I just kept cheering and walking. No profanities, no anger. I smiled. I said scoreboard and walked away. Um, kept the professional. I like. Yeah, that. You, I mean, the kids got to learn. You don't trash talk when you lose. When you lose, you yep. take the L. <laughs> And you move on. Um, I hope I didn't scar him. I don't think I did. Um, I'm sure he's a DC United fan now. I, I hope so. <laughs> I hope he saw my restraint. It was Chris Durkin. And <laughs> it was Chris Durkin. Um, his little brother was the other kid. So, Devin, what's something... Uh, we've heard a lot of stories about RFK. A lot of them very colorfully from, from Ben Olsen. What's something yeah. we don't know yeah, about playing there? there? Oh gosh, about playing there. Um, first of all, it was, a, it was an absolute treat to play on the uh, baseball diamond. You never knew what sort of bounces <laughs> were going to come your way as a center back when, when you just got played a square ball across. But um, goodness, well, I, you know what? I don't really know if people know this. Again, there's been a lot of stories, but for whatever reason, the Capitol Police used to keep their uh, motorcycles at RFK. So you guys have been in kind of like the bowels of RFK, like around the field, obviously. And it looks like Mm -hmm. on the walls, the dust has been collecting since the 60s. Well, exhaust has been collecting too, because I remember remember walking in and um, they started doing this probably like a couple of years after I started playing. And they just, I mean, there'd be 50, 60, 70 um, motorcycles. And we'd be in a team training or, you know, a team like uh, video session. And all of a sudden, all the cops would be coming in and you'd hear all the motorcycles revving up at once and you'd like walk out the training and they're filing out one by one, one by one. So, um, yeah, it's, it's something that I still never fully understood it, but RFK just was home to everyone in the district at some point or another. And, um, yeah, it was always a little unique in the back of my head, but no one really questioned it. No one really questioned it. <laughs> What uh, you mentioned the baseball, um, the playing with playing with that, you know, the the sod covering up the baseball stuff. Um, did you guys adjust to that? Uh, were, were there like, uh, was there any thought to like, 
we have to play differently because of this situation or is it is it just a thing that was just part of life uh, um, you know, I don't think from a tactical standpoint, there mm. was, say, we're going to line up differently in the first half because we lost, you know, the coin flip and we're going to defend the, uh, what was it, the West goal first that had the, the diamond in it. No, there wasn't mm. really anything tactical, but there was certainly, um, it, it was in everyone, everyone knew it, right? So yeah. as a defender, um, you knew not to, uh, take more than two touches because the ball may slow down or you may need to hit it with a little extra pace to someone if you're trying to ping it out wide or maybe a lofted ball instead of keeping the ball on the ground. Um, and I think everyone, you know, we had the amazing trio of uh, Christian Gomez, Simon Moreno, Luciano Emilio, and we'll throw even Fred in there as well. They just seemed to flourish when we went towards the, uh, you know, the, the end of the field that, did not have the baseball diamonds or the clock side, <laughs> as I, I would kind of call it. They just yeah. seem to love playing, you know, right? I mean, um, and as a defender, again, you're just always kind of mindful of, hey, this could take a bad bounce. I need a little extra focus. Maybe it's not muscle memory. Maybe I need to turn it to focus up a little bit more to, to cross this ball that's coming in or clear this ball that's coming in. So, um, you know, from a tactical standpoint, I don't think a whole lot really changed, but certainly from a mental standpoint, it did. Mm-hmm. So and fast you forward. kind of threw off the other team offensively, you know, Yeah, <laughs> like it definitely. took them 40, hopefully, hopefully in the first half, uh, they were going, you know, playing towards the end of the, uh, the baseball diamond and they couldn't really address properly in time. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it became our home. We kind of figured it out. Obviously we had some good years, uh, some good teams, even when the diamond was there. So, um, and still managed to play a pretty, a pretty nice brand of soccer as well. Yeah. A couple of supporter shields, I think while you were on the team, plus an open cup, yeah. you know, nothing to complain about there. Yeah. No, not at all. uh, Certainly fortunate to be a part of those teams. Well, let's let's fast forward to now since we have you here and talk about the the team on the field now and and the the run in for the rest of the season. Um, We've seen some lineup changes over the last few weeks. Um, I think the biggest one is probably um, Luciana Costa on the the bench, at least the, the biggest discretionary one, obviously Rooney being suspended forced Ben Olsen's hand a little bit. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on Benny's uh, lineup choices and, and what do you expect and want to see against Portland this weekend? Um, I, you know, I, I think just your first question, the lineup choices, he, he's trying to figure it out. Who's going to get results. Um, you know, I think when you, you, if you look at the lineup um, that in Montreal, he went in with a defensive mentality. We're going to, we have Ola Kamara up top. We have players who can be creative. Um, but we need to get a shutout first. And I think that was a lineup that he put out on the field, and obviously it ended up coming to fruition for him. Um, we saw that against the Galaxy as well. Like, listen, things aren't going our way, team. Um, I'm going to put a lineup up there that's going to put the little extra amount of work in. Um, they're not going to take shortcuts defensively, and hopefully we can kind of figure out a way to put the ball in the back of the net. And I think those, those two games kind of showcase um, – those gambles that Olsen put out there, maybe not having the most creative players, but it ended up getting them between those two games, obviously LA and, and Montreal, I ended up getting them six points. Now, can he combine the, the Leohara, the Costa, um, obviously getting Rooney back. Can he get back to a plane with a defensive mindset, at least a defensive discipline, while also allowing those players to be as creative and comfortable and um, 
you know, enjoy the ball at their feet because it, it hasn't been that way, what, maybe since May, April, if we're going to go back that far. I mean, the first yeah. yep. month and a half, two months of the season, it was DC night of 2018. And even better because defensively they were so solid and, um, and the team's kind of lost their way. They kind of lost their swagger. They lost their confidence. So I think he's trying to figure out, hey, every game's a little bit different. Uh, Montreal is going to be different than L.A. at home. So, you know, this is a lineup that I believe can get a result. Um, now it hasn't happened in every game. Obviously, Acosta uh, has been benched. We saw Vancouver um, where Rooney played, and they ended up losing in Vancouver. So um, hopefully during this international break, they've, you know, been talked about having – I kind of talked about it on a broadcast before the Montreal game. It's uh, after the Philly game, which was a horrendous loss. Yeah. I mean, they essentially didn't get off the bus. Mm-hmm. Um, coming to Jesus, right? So, like, everyone come together. We we know how much time we have together, this current team has together, because everyone kind of knows the writing's on the wall for a few players. So what can we do to get the most out of this season? We put a lot into it already. Hasn't every, Not everything's gone our way, but here's the game plan for getting to where we want to go. Um, again, I just look back to Montreal players. I don't want to say um, we're punished because that's certainly not the case. I'm sure he's communicating even with certain players that are used to being in the 11, um, why they're not on the field and what he expects of them. So during this international break, did those players rise to the level that Olsen wants them to in terms of their discipline defensively, in terms of uh, having a bit of joy um, back in their game? Portland's always a tough place to play against very good disciplined and counterattacking Portland team. I mean, obviously they're extremely good. It's difficult to fly across the country. Um, you get a point in there and you're set up pretty well, I think for the remaining three games. I mean, Seattle is Seattle. They can turn it on. They have struggled, obviously. Um, New York Red Bulls is always going to be a battle. Obviously Cincinnati, we know where they're at. So two of those last games are at home and then it's a rival match against New York Red Bulls. If the team is not playing at a high level after this Portland game, they're, anything can happen in the playoffs, right? But they're not setting themselves up for success to not only kind of guarantee themselves a home game, but even solidifying their spot in the playoffs. They're three points, what, out of seventh place? Um, yep. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, I think there's a lot to say, even if they don't get a result in Portland what the mentality of the team is and if Olsen's message during the international break has gotten to certain players. A la uh, Casa, a la Lerohara. Hmm. Um, Devin, I, and just at it, this one just kind of popped into my head. Um, Russell Canals playing defensive midfield. Now all of a sudden um, he played well against Montreal playing right back. And then against Puebla, he was back out there uh, during his stint in the game. Um, it kind of occurs to me that this is something that you're very familiar with from your playing career, um, <laughs> playing right back, playing defensive midfield, center back, right midfield, right wing back. Um, how do you think he would, or I guess I shouldn't say, how do you think he did, but um, what do you think went into him having some success in Montreal? And, and do you think it's something that he can do now that teams are kind of possibly game planning for it? I think from I think it's his approach to the game is what makes him successful when he's out on the field. I mean, you know, he he's come out. I mean, he wants to be a holding midfielder. He wants to play in the center of the park. Um, I think that's his, his most natural position. But it's a soccer IQ. But it, it, I think just more of his mentality. I mean, he's he he's a guy who just doesn't really lose his battles. And in those parts of the field specifically, holding midfielder, 
um, outside back, especially outside back, you can get, you know, one V ones, you can get burned, you can get exploited mm-hmm. if you, you don't have any help defensively. Um, I think he showcased that often, more often than, than not, he's going to win those 50, 50 duels. Um, even if they don't look to be 50, 50, even if they maybe look to be, you know, a little 60, 40, he still has that mentality that he is going to do whatever it takes to, to, uh, to win those challenges. And obviously from a soccer IQ standpoint, he, he's got enough understanding of every position, um, apparently that, uh, <laughs> that he can read the game well enough and stay connected to his teammates and communicate effectively enough to, uh, to be successful in, in, in those positions on the field. So he's, he is certainly a difference maker. I know they missed him when he was out from injury after that injury in Chicago. Um, I mean, you look at his, uh, the games DC United played without Russell can also, I don't have him in front of me. Um, but it's a much higher win rate than when he's not on the field. So he's obviously a massive difference maker. He set the tone in the middle. Um, even at right back, you could see he kind of set the tone and just his approach and, and other people certainly followed his lead there, even though he, I think at times he could kind of become a little more, um, of a vocal communicator, but that comes also with age and confidence. I mean, I think he kind of is a little bit more focused on himself. He is certainly trying to organize things defensively. Um, but I think he could even raise that level a little bit, which could ultimately raise his game. Um, before we let you go, I have one question that uh, I've been meaning We're to just ask. We're started, are we not? I'm just getting comfortable <laughs> here. I, I want to make sure I get my questions in before, uh, before, before you have to bounce. Um, the, People might not be aware of this, but you actually won the, um, I believe it's the 2007 CONCACAF Champions Cup Golden Boot. Um, as a, or I believe you were the joint top scorer in that tournament. Um, and I've always wondered, did CONCACAF give you anything for that? Did they send you <laughs> anything or was it just yeah, like... I've- Go ahead. So it's been a whole thing. The, the check has been in the mail for like... <laughs> <years now. laughs> So I, you know, I filed a few complaints, but um, when it's some, when it's pennies, uh, you know, that no one really listens to. <laughs> no, no, I didn't get anything. I actually got a game ball. That was it. Okay. I had to kind of just steal it. Off. I had to steal it off the field. <laughs> uh, it's not that they gave you one. It's that you. you no, they didn't give me one. Yeah, yeah. This, yeah, this is a, like a, a letter in the mail that was a complaint for stealing the ball, but then the check never came for for being tied for golden boot. <laughs> maybe maybe they're holding it until they get that ball back. It's like yeah. it's like a library oh, situation. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Devin, I think we will let you go. We're gonna bring in uh, another friend of ours to give us the Portland angle on on this upcoming game. Before we do, though, tell our listeners the the one or two of them who don't already follow you online where they can find you oh gosh so uh at devo mct d-e-v as in victor o-m-c-t on twitter and instagram though instagram's just my kid so um it, it's you know i mean and one father to another respect yeah i know right gosh <laughs> they just they, you're like all you just want to do is just post pictures of your kid i didn't want to be that parent and then i turned into that parent so um <laughs> regardless but guys it's been an absolute pleasure thanks so much for having me on and um look forward to uh listening over the next couple of weeks and hopefully this team can uh, end things on a high note here in 2019 absolutely we look forward to having you on again uh listeners stick around we'll be right back it's filibuster all right say you're at work and uh something 
unfortunate or untoward happens and you need some legal representation to uh to assert your rights in that situation whether a boss mistreated you you were fired unfairly uh or 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 something worse happens ben in the district of columbia and northern virginia you know who to call right yeah you call the ehrlich law office because you have rights that's right. And your rights matter. And you deserve to be free from harassment. And you deserve to work. The Ehrlich Law Office handles workplace discrimination. They do civil rights. Uh, if you have a wage theft issue, they are there for you. If you have uh, a separation from your employer that you want to to get down on paper, and you're dealing with a, a non-compete clause or or something to to that effect if you uh if you feel like your civil rights have been violated by a local government call the ehrlich law office uh if you want a free consultation tell them we sent you go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster welcome back to filibuster the black and red united podcast DC United head Cascadia away this weekend for a national TV date with the Portland Timbers. Watch it at 3.30 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN. Will Conwell, a good friend of ours, he's a contributing editor for Stumptown Footy, and he's kindly agreed to join us back on the show to help us preview this one. Will, welcome back to Filibuster. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, guys. Uh, we've done this once before with you. You know it's coming. What are you drinking? <laughs> uh, I am drinking the Spaceways Hazy IPA from Modern Times, a nice. uh, local Portland brewery. You have many of them out there, many good ones, too. Oh, yeah. How, you can how's tell the Hazy Portland IPA? Because it says uh, on the side of it, this beer is vegan. Mm. Wow. Cool. <laughs> I've, I don't know if th- that I've had a vegan beer. I very well may have, just not, not on purpose. I mean, aren't most beers, <laughs> shouldn't most beers be vegan? In theory, in theory, you never know. There are things you think are vegetarian, especially at fast food restaurants that are definitely not. Well, so never want to guess. There could be (laughs) eggs somewhere in some processing or something. Who knows? Um, I like the hazy IPAs. I've said that many times on this show. I'm digging them right now. Will, how how is that one in particular? Well, I hadn't had it before. I just took my first taste of it. And so far, thumbs up. Excellent. Is the first taste matters. Like, is it tasting this more like Portland, Oregon, or more like Portland, Maine? Is it like a New England style or still a West Coast? Uh, still a West Coast. Huh. Oh, interesting. So your Timbers right now are sitting six in the West, one point above the playoff line. Um, they finished five w- with five of their last six at home. That That's a scenario that sounds pretty familiar to a lot of our listeners, I think, after last year's stadium-influenced uh, schedule. You guys also have a stadium-influenced schedule. What are your thoughts and feelings right now heading into this final stretch uh, for the Timbers? Well, I mean, the Western Conference right now is just so precarious in so many ways. You know, uh, It seems like every week there's so much movement up and down the table um, for the Timbers and for everyone else that, uh, it's just, it's, it's a roller coaster ride and it's just, it's going to get crazier going into these next few weeks with, uh, with DC United 
kicking off this long stretch of uh, five games in 15 days. So I, I guess it's not that long of a stretch, but it's a lot of games. Uh, so, you know, feeling feeling good about being above the red line, uh, feeling a little apprehensive about how many games the Timbers are going to have to play uh, against some, you know, solid opposition. So going into that, you guys have won, I think, four of your last six. You lost a couple there in the middle of, of that stretch. Um, congratulations on denying the Sporting Kansas City. They're f- <laughs> they'll, they'll miss the playoffs for the first time in recent memory, thanks to uh, uh, your win against them. Who's playing well for you right now? Uh, how, how, is the, how are the Timbers set up right now with all these home games? Well, the Timbers are getting contributions from a lot of different players right now. Uh, you know, it's something that everyone who played this last week, especially, uh, is running into in that, you know, there are so many players gone with national teams uh, and then so many players dealing with injuries and other issues that, you know, you, uh, you're really getting to see some positive contributions from players who are on the bench right now. Uh, for the Timbers, that means guys like Marvin Loria, uh, who was promoted up from T2 last year, uh, or or I guess over the offseason, um, who, uh, who's had a chance to make a really big impact. Uh, Tomas Konechny, the Timbers' youngest Argentine, um, has, uh, has had a chance to come on and uh, you know provide some key late uh, game assists. I think he's got uh, two, he's got three, three assists in the last couple of games, two of which have been game-winning assists. Um, so, you know, for, for a young guy to come on and be able to do that and be able to look good while doing that, uh, you know, is something that uh, that Timbers fans are, I think, really appreciative of right now. And then, of course, there's Brian Fernandez, uh, you know, the Timbers big summer signing. Uh, you know, he, he's he been uh, sort of up and down in terms of his form, but, you know, he came through big, got the winning goal uh, against Sporting, which, you know, is uh, is something that when he's had a chance to uh, to to make a difference, he's generally done it. Um, and the Timbers fans are, you know, certainly going to be hoping for more of that from him. So, Will, uh, Portland's first month and a half was how you say awful. Uh, <laughs> what what has the team done to? Uh, to change the one point from the first month and a half into a team that is uh, contending for uh, the playoffs in the West at this point. Well, uh, I mean, as, as the, you folks in DC or uh, DC adjacent uh, are, are certainly aware, you know, these long road stretches are just brutal on a team. And if you can come out of them with some, uh, some semblance of uh, of self respect intact, uh, then you know you're actually set up for a, a pretty good. Uh, you, you've got a pretty good setup for for a late run into the playoffs. Um, you know, for the Timbers, those first five games were really brutal. But you know, when you take a moment and look back at uh, at what the Timbers were actually going up against uh, in those games, um, you know, you had LAFC before everyone really had a chance to appreciate just how much of uh, uh, monstrosity LAFC were going to be. Uh, you know, you had San Jose before people realized that, oh yeah, San Jose is actually 
you know, going to be difficult to play against. And you had that behemoth that is FC Cincinnati. You had FC Cincinnati (laughs) in their first ever home game in MLS. Uh, You know, that one still is really rough to look back on, especially, you know, given recent results for them. But, uh, you know, that one was was always going to be sort of a trap game for whoever played it, Timbers or otherwise. The Timbers were just, you know, had the added bonus of being on the road for several weeks before then as well. So, you know, those, uh, those first few games, um, while it still, uh, still is pretty rough to look back on them, when you put them in context of, uh, of sort of the individual results rather than the individual results all coming in a row, it's not nearly as, uh, <laughs> as bad as it kind of looks on the form sheet. Uh, looking over um, the, the Timber season, thinking back to the games I've seen, um, it seems like there's kind of a recurring situation where when the Timbers get to play transition soccer, they seem to do really well. Um, and then when teams sit deep against them and don't give them that option, it becomes much more of a grind. It, it seems like the games I've watched, at least, um, they they see those low blocks and they just can't quite figure out how to open the opposing team up. Um, is that, does that match your impression having watched all the games or is that just something where I've been stumbling in at the wrong time? No, I think that's fairly accurate. Uh, you know, looking at the Timbers, this is a team that's, you know, for, uh, or, you know, since, uh, since Diego Valeria, uh, arrived has essentially been built around his skill set and the attack. Uh, and, you know, in that same period, um, since since John Spencer left, at least, has been bi- uh, built around Diego Chara uh, on defense um, and, and you know, the two of them in transition. So those guys uh, are both excellent transition players. The things that they do well lend themselves to that sort of play. Um, and, you know, Savarese, Giovanni Savarese, since he's come to Portland, has uh, has experimented a few times. You know, looking at different uh, different approaches for the team. Um, you know, and and game states have certainly dictated uh, different approaches for the team, and other teams' approaches have dictated different approaches for the team. But you know, uh, in the end, this is a team whose personnel uh, are built to fit around Diego Chara and Diego Valeri, uh, and that means playing in transition. Uh, now they've got, you know, they've got Valeri, they've got Blanco, uh, you know, they've got a number of players who have the sort of creativity to sometimes make something happen regardless of what's going on in the actual game. Um, but, you know, that's it, uh, their natural state is uh, hitting you on the counter. Um. I do have to ask, um, looking through um, the recent lineups, I'm seeing a lot of guys with some connection to DC United, whether it's Steve Clark becoming a starter, um, Eric Williamson, uh, who for a lot of, a lot of fans out here were really upset when he got traded or his, um, his homegrown rights were traded to the Timbers. I believe is how that one went along. Yes. Um, how are, how are those guys doing uh, right now? Cause I know Williamson is just starting to break into the lineup a little more often. Yeah, uh, well, Steve Clark, uh, you know, he has been huge for the Timbers this year. Uh, he, uh, I think, he has the something like the second highest uh, 
save percentage uh, on the season. He's got one of the higher uh, uh, expected goals minus uh, uh, stats, you know, for the year. He's he's made big saves at big moments for the Timbers. Um, and looking forward, looking forward to this weekend's game. Uh, I think that they're a big part of, uh, of what the Timbers are going to need to, uh, to get any sort of points going forward is, you know, a couple of big saves from him. Uh, so with, uh, with the state of their back line right now, which we'll get into, uh, but you know, so he's, he's been big for the Timbers, um, Especially having to uh, to step in for uh, Jeff Adenella, who uh, who went down with a a season season ending injury earlier in the year. Um, now, as far as Eric Williamson goes, uh, you know he has been great for T two. Um, the uh, the Timbers have really taken a a a, a line. Um, with young players that uh, they want them to really prove themselves, uh, and, you know, get comfortable with the, the, uh, the way the team wants to play uh, and do all that on the T2 level before uh, stepping into the first team. Jeremy Abobase is another, you know, great young player who, uh, you know, really was kept at the T2 level for a long time. Um, but also with he was able here in DC. Yep. Yeah. Though, though not an uh, academy player. Right. But, uh, you know, once he, once he made the jump to the first team, he was able to continue getting minutes. And now obviously he's become uh, a really key player for the Timbers. Uh, Williamson, you know, is a guy who really could be on the same trajectory, uh, when he's had a chance to step in with the first team, which hasn't been much. Um, but, uh, you know, given some, uh, some injuries and some call-ups and, uh, one red card, uh, suspension, um, you know, he got the start this last weekend, uh, and I think people were generally impressed with him. Um, so, you know, I, I think everyone here is hoping to to see more from him with the first team in the future. Their names have already come up, but I want to talk about Diego, Diego Valeri and Diego Chara some more. They've been so central to everything the Timbers want to do for, for so long. Um, how much longer can they keep doing it? And are, are there any signs that, that their time might be, be coming up at some point soon? And just to make it a three-part question, because I can't just stop at one or two, <laughs> what are the, is there a succession plan in place? Well, uh, starting with Diego Valeri, um, you know, watching his game, uh, watching him play this year, uh, and, and even to a certain extent last year, he looks like he's lost a step. He, he doesn't have the same burst, the same ability to separate from an opponent um, and, you know, crack off a shot or, or what have you. Um, that being said, you know, his skill set uh, is so based around technique that, you know, as he sort of adjusts to what it is that he's able to do now, um, it's actually sort of resulted in him getting in uh, you know, just as good positions, even if he is not able to do it in the same way. Uh, and you really see that in terms of the numbers of assists that he's been able to provide this year. Um, I think he's at 16 right now, and that's a, uh, a career high for him. Um, so, you know, he, uh, he is, he is certainly slowing down a little bit. 
Um, but, uh, you know, he's, he's still a, a huge part of the way the Timbers want to approach the game. Um, going forward, you know, I, I you have got uh, a guy in Brian Fernandez who is going to be a, a linchpin of, uh, of the Timbers attack going forward. Um, and, you know, the, uh, the fact that Valeri has a guy like that to, uh, to sort of provide service to, um, you know, is, uh, is going to sort of make the, the transition from one attacking era to another a little better. Um, there's also guys like Marvin Loria, my, like, uh, like some of the other youngsters, uh, Thomas Koneshny, the, the two guys I mentioned earlier, uh, who are having the chance to step up uh, and proving themselves uh, along the way. Now, as far as Chara goes, uh, that's actually a little bit more straightforward. Uh, I mean, he's, you know, he's still hugely influential on the game. You know, we all know that at some point, Father Time is going to catch up with him. But, uh, you know, right now he's he's still breaking up plays all over the place. He's still making absurd, you know, full pitch runs to get into the attack. Uh, he's still doing all the sort of Diego Chara things uh, that you expect from him. Um, but uh, but now he's got some sort of understudies in a, in a way that he didn't really before in guys like Christian Perez, uh, uh, Renzo Zambrano, uh, and, you know, even to a certain extent, Williamson, uh, who's, you know, sort of what position he plays seems to fluctuate depending on the week uh, of the, uh, of the year. So, well, it seems like, it seems like uh, Portland has almost two full back lines uh, uh, of defenders out on, in, uh, uh, on injuries right now. How has the team dealt with that? And is that something that is sustainable? So the way that the Timbers have dealt with the number of injuries that they've uh, and and absences for defenders that they've picked up so far is by not having anyone else get injured. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I mean it's it's been really something uh, the number of guys who have been missing on the back line. Um, although looking at the the guys that the Timbers are starting, um, you know it's it's not immediately obvious just how many players are out. Uh, you know, you've got uh, Jorge Morera, Jorge Viafania, uh playing out on the fullbacks, and those are the Timbers' first choice players in those two positions. Um, you've got Bill Tuiloma uh, playing at center back, who uh, you know, depending uh, on who you're talking to, is either the second or third choice at center back. Um, and then you've got Claude Dielna, who uh, has had gotten some starts earlier on in the year, but also he's Claude Dielna and he's made some mystifying decisions <laughs> yeah. uh, during his time in MLS. So it's always difficult to sort of have him in there. Um, but, you know, all of that, all of that's a pretty solid uh, back line given the, the players that the Timbers have on their roster. Um, but the fact that the Timbers have just had zero defenders, uh, on their bench in the last two games should, <laughs> should tell you that uh, there are a number of guys missing. Uh, and really, uh, 
the two first choice center backs in recent games before this injury crisis hit, uh, Larry's Mabiala and Julio Cascante uh, are the two big ones that you have to look at there. Um, but also a guy like Zarek Valentin, who's played regular minutes at fullback for the Timbers this year. Uh, you know, he, in terms of, you know, having your best possible fullbacks on the field, you know, he's not necessarily the guy you want, but, you know, Viafania and Marrera are two guys who do a ton of work for the Timbers. Um, and they have really tried to, you know, get them some rest when they can. And, and Valentin's the guy who steps in for them. Um, and having him out uh, has actually has probably been one of the uh, one of the bigger issues for the for the Timbers back line recently. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been a little nerve wracking uh, and the Timbers have had just barely enough players, uh, roster players who are not injured uh, to uh, to not be able to call anyone up from uh, from T2 for uh, for these last couple of games. Um, it looks like a couple of the guys might be uh, might be coming up on making a return. Uh, Marco Farfan, the Timbers homegrown fullback, uh, played uh, with T2. Uh, over this last week here. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's still going to be sort of cross your fingers and hope nobody else goes down for the time being. I want to turn the attention off the field for a minute and talk about the Streisand effect. <laughs> um, the Timbers are front and center on an ongoing debate that's hit a boiling point about speech in, in the in the stands and among the supporters. Um, for those who haven't been following along or, or somehow haven't heard about what's happening um, with the Timbers Army and the Iron Front flag, can you catch us up a little bit on, on the current situation? Yeah. Uh, so obviously teams all throughout MLS have been dealing with uh, – variations uh of this but uh, it's kind of come to the forefront here in portland um because uh the the iron front uh uh classic anti-fascist symbol um has uh has been banned by the league and uh in this last week uh several timbers fans um were uh were i guess uh, suspended for three games. Uh, they were, uh, they were told don't step foot on, on the Providence park premises, um, for, uh, for flying the iron front, uh, on flags, which, uh, has not sat well with people. Um, well, in that you know, particular it, it, instance, they were suspended for was, was part of a coordinated protest between the Timbers army and the Seattle supporter groups. So it's uh, it actually so so no one was suspended for that one. The following oh, wow. game, um, the Timbers Army again flew the Iron Front flags, um, and my understanding is that is the uh, that is gotcha. what those people so were, were suspended for. So they were waiting till a little less people were paying attention. <laughs> yeah, something along those lines. Um, so. Uh, the uh, the most recent development in this, though, is uh, today the Timbers Army put out a statement um, saying that uh, that they had had a meeting with the Timbers front office uh, as well as several civil rights groups uh, from the uh, from the Portland area, um, and uh, and 
they were uh, they were very positive about the the Timbers front office's uh, approach to the subject, uh, and it, it it sounded like it was a good meeting. Uh, and they announced that they would be they and the uh, the Independent Supporters Council, which the Timbers Army is a member organization of, uh, would be meeting with MLS on September nineteenth to uh, to discuss the issue further. Um, so, you know, it uh, sounds like positive movement uh, for what's become a very contentious issue uh, and something that f- people feel very deeply about here in Portland. And all over the league. I mean, since since the, the first supporters started getting banned for flying Iron Front signs, you've seen more and more of them. And that's why I frame this as a, a Streisand effect. Um, you, you've started, you see the hashtag a United Front, you see them you, you see variations of the Iron Front logo incorporating elements of every team's logo throughout MLS. In, in LA, for LAFC, you see three wings in a row. For I've seen the DC flag reoriented uh, on shirts worn in the supporters' end here in DC. So you, you have a lot of different approaches to it, n- many of which probably wouldn't exist had the league not started banning people. <laughs> And telling people to put these put put signs down and starting trying to restrict fr- speech um, in in the stands, which it's it's always fun to see things come around in a way against the powers that be. Anyway, um, Jason, do you have anything else? Uh, I do want to ask, um, not not to suddenly jump back to soccer, um, <laughs> but unfortunately, <laughs> that's the one question I have left. Um, you know, here in DC, we have our big summer signing was a striker, Ola Kamara. He came in at the end of the window. He's doing pretty well. Um, Brian Fernandez got to Portland, uh, what, a month and a half or so earlier than Kamara. And it seems like he's really um, changed the the attack um, in, in a way that um, maybe it was kind of up in the air. I know his time in Mexico, he was more, is he a winger? Is he a forward? Um how much has he, in your eyes, how, mu- how much of an impact has he made other than obviously scoring a bunch of goals? And also, I know his um, he's he was carrying an illness, uh, if I'm not mistaken, recently. Is he fit to play or is that still up in the air? Uh, well, so. He, uh, you know, he he was carrying an, an illness uh, last weekend it was a stomach virus. Uh, was what they put him down as, but you know he came in, he played uh, around I think thirty minutes uh, mm-hmm. of the match against Kansas City, uh, and you know he was his typical hard charging self throughout. Um, and uh, sounds like he's been practicing and everything this week, so I, I don't think that there are really any worries that he'll miss the game from the Timbers. Um, as far as how he's sort of affected the the Timbers attack since coming here, uh, you know, the 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 biggest thing has been the the Timbers uh, have been looking to or have been primarily playing him up top and shifting uh, Jeremy Obobese out onto the wing, mm-hmm. uh, which um, you know Obobese has been given a run out there before. Um, but you know, this is really sort of a, a project from the Timbers. Um, you know, primarily been a, uh, kind of target forward, uh, in, uh, in 
his previous play. Um, and, you know, that was how he was playing throughout the start of the season for the Timbers. Uh, so with uh, with him out on the wing and uh, Fernandez uh, up top, you know, it's it's really been rather rather than having a target striker, um, the Timbers have been using Fernandez to, uh, you know, use his movement to stretch the pitch, um, you know, get a coming in on the uh, on the back post, try to, you know, get him for those uh, those uh, touched in balls like uh, the first goal that he scored against Kansas City last weekend. Um, and uh, it's sort of taken some of the 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 pressure off Diego Valeri to do the the sort of uh, running and attacking off of the center forward that he was called on to do earlier in the year. Um, it's also taken Blanco, uh, Sebastian Blanco, um, a little bit out of the t- the attack and put him into more of a transition role, um, which you know is something that Blanco has always done. Um, but you know, he's often coming a little bit further back down the pitch uh, and working the ball around rather than, uh, being in that sort of winger role, um, that we saw from him earlier in the year. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's the main way I think that, uh, Fernandez has affected things other than just sort of his general attitude of craziness, Mm. (laughs) you know, in a positive way. Sure. Uh, I, I'm going to ask you to, to, to flip your perspective a little bit. If you were game planning against the timber, say you had a game, you had to plan for a game against them this weekend, just to pick a date at random Sunday, say uh, <laughs> a weirdly early game on the West coast Sunday, just to be hyper specific in this hypothetical, how would you be game planning against them? What would you be focusing on? Um, well, I think we uh, we actually already touched on uh, one of the big things uh, earlier in this conversation um, in that, you know, you you kind of want to give up the ball to the Timbers and, and force them to try and break you down, uh, you know, get them spread out and push forward uh, and hit them on the counter. I think that's uh, something that teams have had real success doing against the Timbers. Um, and, uh, you know, that's something that uh, the Timbers have, still not really looked comfortable dealing with, uh, even though that's, you know, sort of the, the blueprint to, uh, to go at them right now. Um, the other thing, uh, that I think, um, you, you know, kind of want to try and exploit is getting in, uh, behind the, the Timbers fullbacks on the occasions when they do commit themselves forward. Um, you know, both Marrera and Viafania are guys who, you know, we're going to recover well. Uh, they're going to, um, you know, be aggressive in getting back uh, when they do commit themselves forward. But uh, when uh, when Dielna and, to a lesser extent, Tuiloma are, are pulled out into those flank positions, the Timbers have sometimes struggled with the with teams sort of getting them out of position in that way and uh, and forcing them into bad situations. All right, we'll find out Sunday if DC United can make that happen. Will, thanks for coming on the show. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you on the old internet? <laughs> uh, well, you can find me writing at stumptownfooty.com uh, or you can find me on Twitter uh, at William Conwell. 
All right. Find us at blackandredunited.com and patreon.com slash filibuster if you feel like supporting us financially. We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Download, subscribe, rate, review, whatever else you're allowed to do on iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Mostly, though, please tell a friend about the show. That's one of our favorite ways to, to, for you to help us out. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Enemy of the State also starred John Voight. We didn't talk about that earlier. 